Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this somewhat cloudy Wednesday afternoon by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. Not cloudy out here in Westlake Village, but... There was a thunderstorm you know. last night here in El Segundo. Uh-huh. The world's coming to an end. It's never used to rain during the summer in Southern California. No, we're now getting never. tropical weather. Yeah, we're getting monsoons. It's not great. Not great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we did. Uh, we had a a kind of a big news item, I'd say. We got that exclusive interview um, with Maliki Matavale. <laughs> now, 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 with UCLA athletic director Martin Jarmond. We did. Um, it was, it was I, I think, generally a, a pretty good interview. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we kind of, I, I thought he handled it very well, right? I mean, we kind of uh, tag-teamed him a little at times. He was getting questions from both sides. Uh, but I thought he did pretty well, don't you think? Yeah, I thought he did great. And if you are, uh, if you have not yet watched the video, which we posted this morning, uh, we're tagging the uh the audio on the back end of this podcast right here so you can listen in at the end but no i thought i thought uh martin did a great job um you know we i mean we're not exactly easy to talk to no we're we're cantankerous um antisocial uh you know we've got potential personality disorders that are undiagnosed there's a lot going on here so, um, you know, given given the parameters, given the struggle, uh, there was, you know, I thought it, I thought he was pretty effective. Um, I think he had a lot of interesting things to say about the way UCLA approaches NIL. Uh, I thought he had some interesting things to say about realignment. I thought, you know, borderline breaking some news about um, Oregon and Washington. And uh, it seems like UCLA's preference to keep them as some sort of protected part of the schedule uh, going forward, and it seemed like that was maybe the tenor of the conversations with the Big Ten right now, which um, you know was kind of my initial thought. But then I was thinking maybe they won't even do that. So uh, a lot of interesting little nuggets. So definitely recommend listening. I mean, what were your big uh, big takeaways from what Martin said? Um, I, I thought it was the most we've heard him ever talk about nil, mm-hmm. mostly because it was the most he's ever been asked about it. Um. I don't know if he got into as many specifics as we would have wanted him to do, but the fact that he's now, it sounds like he's very positive and supportive of NIL collectives uh, with UCLA. Um, In fact, um, I had brought up the question with him about Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State kind of does a little NIL uh, menu where you can order you literally have like a shopping cart, I think, where you can order um, your interaction with a program for this amount of money. Um, From what I'm hearing, UCLA is developing that concept too, and it's looking pretty good. I I don't know about the specifics of the activity, but I'm hearing Men of Westwood, uh, which is clearly head and shoulders the leading uh, UCLA collective, NIL collective out there is developing that in conjunction with UCLA. So uh, uh, all of you out there who, who don't necessarily want to give, you know, a hundred grand, but you want to give a smaller amount and be able to do something for it, uh, you'll, you'll be able to do it. So that's a big development. I think not even too long ago, it would have been um, far-fetched to think UCLA would be able, would sign off on this. 
So a lot of credit actually to men of Westwood, that organization. They've been working hard to get these kind of things done. Yeah, and uh, this was, I think, the second time I'm aware of that um, uh, Jarman has kind of publicly acknowledged men of Westwood. Um, you know, it was in that initial email back in December, and then this one. Um, you know, it's it's good to give a little bit more um, kind of institutional legitimacy to the organization. Um, and I know there are links throughout uh, different websites, but to have... Uh, you know, kind of a public face um, name drop men of Westwood, I think should improve uh, positioning within kind of the donor base. So that was good to hear. Um, but there was a lot. I mean, um, I, his answer to the Olympic sports question, I thought was very careful and interesting because um, I asked him, you know, uh, this is an idea that's been bandied about by a few people, but um, would now that the Pac-12 has more or less dissolved, would all of those schools band together to create some sort of, you know, reorganization for all of the Olympic sports? And he said, well, we're full ahead go with the Big Ten for all sports. Um, that said, those kinds of conversations happen all the time. You know, there, there are conversations all the time. So that led me to believe that, you know, that's not an idea that's going to be rejected out of hand um, because that would drastically, you know, improve the cost situation for every single athletic program that's leaving uh, the Pac-12, uh, but certainly UCLA's as well. We've talked about this before. It's just it, if you're trying to apply logic to realignment and specifically UCLA and USC in the Big Ten, it's it's something you could easily foresee happening. It just makes too much logical sense, right? Yeah. That the non-revenue Olympic sports uh, are eventually not part of the Big Ten, but have you know, uh, a, a league on the West coast that makes it far more, the travel far more practical. Um, I'd say one thing we had a lot of questions for him about NIL and we didn't have unlimited time. So there were so many things I wanted to get to, but I, I'd say now in hindsight, probably what I would have wanted to ask him also, um, is, uh, given the fact that UCLA will get obviously a significant boost in revenue from the Big Ten media share deal, uh, which he, we talked about, um, that it would help with infrastructure. He talked about uh, uh, what the training table, the food. I think he touched on a few other things. But on an average, let's just say an estimated $70 million per year for the next seven years, which is a half a half a billion dollars that will be able to go to infrastructure. Um, I'd like to see, and I'd, I'd be curious to know if there is a plan for UCLA since um, it sounds like it's embracing and supporting NIL collectives. If there's a plan for UCLA to transition some of its uh, wooden athletic fund donors to NIL yeah. donors. Um and not only doing that in a couple of years when the Big Ten money starts falling, but maybe borrowing against yourself now um, just to get that done, to keep a pace of, in the NIL world. Um, I think that's something that UCLA, UCLA should definitely be considering and pursuing. Yeah. And there's, I mean, we, I think we said this on the podcast, like if we, I mean, we easily could have gone about three hours um, talking about a variety of different things. That one would have been top of mind. I would want to ask, um, you know, 
and this is like such a, a deep and like kind of thorny topic uh, to ask the athletic director. But um, first, how much of this money is going to have to go almost immediately to essentially service loans that uh, were essentially taken out against Central Campus? And two, is there any hope in the near future of changing the absurd accounting practices between the athletic department and Central Campus, you know? Is there any hope of eventually not having to pay rent to ASUCLA to use Poly Pavilion for the games that help fund Poly Pavilion? Um, you know, those sorts of things. Because when you look at what Cal is able to still accomplish, given the fact that they have an albatross around their neck from their stadium renovation because they get so much help, uh, kind of free help from Central Campus, where they are, you know, they get part of their part of their loan service is paid for entirely by uh, the university. And then you see the way the UCLA athletic department is, you know, in this precarious position where it's almost treated like, um, a tenant. Uh, it's, you know, that's something that if you're going to be on equal footing, like if you're going to attempt to be on equal footing with schools in the big 10, that's an unheralded, but a significant part of it. Um, if so much of the funding has to go to essentially servicing what is, um, an accounting issue, is uh you know that's that's that would be a problem for competitive balance going forward as well i i think also when we were talking about um mick cronin's international recruiting class i i um inferred that from uh martin's comments that there there was some flexibility pliability uh, when it came to the admission standards and processes for international prospects, did, did you also kind of feel that was the case? Yeah, too. Yeah, that's the vibe I got. Yeah, so that's a very positive thing, and I, I mean, I'm going to give credit to Mick Cronin for that. I mean, that's that's a guy who's been who's been working that thing for a year and a half now. So, um, and, and it was effective. And, you know, you know, just generally in life, you can't just slam something down someone's throat. You got to be able to navigate through it. And it, it looks like Mick Cronin did that very, very effectively working with the academic side of the admissions uh, for uh, international for all athletes, but specifically for international athletes. So that was that was encouraging, too, I think. And maybe I'm inferring too much but that's what i got from that um hey well let's talk a little bit about basketball are you done talking a little bit about about martin jarman can we move on a little to some basketball yes i would love to talk about actual sports wow let's do that um as we all know ucla is going to be playing three exhibition games in spain i think the team and the entourage leaves on, I believe, Sunday. Um, it's soon. Uh, three games, uh, one August 22nd in Madrid, one August 24th in Valencia, Spain, and, and one August 29th in Barcelona. Barcelona. Um, Dave, do we know the teams <laughs> they're, they're playing? And the big question what everyone wants to know, will... Will the revolution be televised? Yeah, so uh, I'll take those in reverse order. Uh, first, uh, what we're hearing is that uh, 
it's very uncertain whether these games are even going to be streaming. Um, there's a lot of, there's third-party vendors, there's gyms that they still haven't seen. Like, there's a lot of factors. It could be the kind of thing where we hear an hour before the games, oh, here's a link where you can watch the games. Or it might be that they aren't they aren't streaming at all. And we'll hear reports about them. Uh, and we're going to do our best to get you, you know, good info about all this stuff. But um, it's it's... All these international trips can be kind of dicey unless the situation is just absolutely perfect and they've got everything lined up ahead of time where like the gyms are exactly, you know, up to spec to do some of this stuff. But I've heard stories about uh, the UCLA trip to China, not this most recent one, but the one before that um, where Howland took the team, where they were at a gym where it hadn't been opened uh, again since I think the Olympics were held there. It had been a couple of years there was dust on the floor. There was, like, one working outlet. Um, so you just kind of don't know the vibes until you get there. Um, so that's that on the streaming. So don't expect, like, a whole, you know, don't expect it to be on NBC. Um, and it'll be great if, you know, possibly at least one or two of these end up somewhere on a stream. Uh, but tune in every day to Bro because... We'll have info for you. We'll have info for yeah. you. Yeah. And then number two uh, about the teams, uh, it sounds like pretty locked in the first two i don't even know what they're called uh the third one might be a little bit uh a little bit up in the air um but uh their opponents they should have opponents for each of the games <laughs> and just a reminder there will be some um players who will not participate um adem bona is still coming back from his shoulder injury that he experienced at the end of last season uh, all reports out of practice is that he's looking really good. He's just not participating in any uh, live team drills. So that's all That's all good news. Uh, Adai Mata is, has not enrolled at UCLA yet and probably won't until September. Uh, Burke Bayuktanshal is with the Turkish national team, not the U19 team, the actual national team that I believe is playing in an Olympic qualifying tournament uh, later this month in maybe a few days. Probably actually won't play that much, which is kind of interesting. But I guess he is pr- still practicing basketball. So, you know, that's a positive. Um, so they will, they will be limited. Um, uh, they will not be at full strength. Uh, but... As I think we've talked about before, that will give some guys a lot of playing time to get better, learn systems, learn how to play for uh, Cronin. So all good. Um, Ken Nwuba will probably be the starting post. And Devin Williams, the 6'10", 200-pound, very skinny freshman post, will definitely be getting some time. Yeah. I think it will be I, – I, I bet Brandon Williams, the freshman power forward who's 6'7", and probably 220, might be playing a little post too. Yeah, so, so let me actually throw out a caveat here because if you are a true sicko like Tracy and myself and many of you on the message board, these games will be interesting to watch and fun, you know, watching these prospects. If you are a casual, uh, these might not be like your ideal UCLA basketball performances. Um, it's going to be a team that doesn't look tremendously like the team that's going to be taking the floor in November. Um, so just... Keep that in mind, whether these things end up streaming or not, that the the the, the makeup, the chemistry, all that kind of stuff is going to be quite a bit different from what you might think it will be uh, in November. 
That's a good segue. Let's talk a little bit because I got a little bit of inside information. Let's talk a little bit about uh, starting lineups and rotations, not for Spain, but for this fall. Let's do it. All right, so we're going to start banging the Will McClendon playing 20 minutes of backup point guard again? <laughs> you can keep bound, uh, banging that in the background while I talk about some of the information. All right, you talk your information, um, I'm start beatboxing. Okay, Will I, I, I think we can very much accept that the two starters are a Dembona, Absolutely a starter. Um, and Dylan Andrews will be stepping into the starting spot at point guard. Uh, even though he hasn't practiced at UCLA yet, uh, it's anticipated that Burke will step in and probably be the starter at the four. That leaves the two true wing spots, the shooting guard spot and the traditional kind of small forward spot. From what I'm hearing, the trend right now is that Lazar Stefanovic will start at that small forward spot. Um, and you can see why. Uh, he's a, he'll be a junior. He has uh, veteran experience as opposed to rolling the ball out with a whole team almost completely a freshman. So as we said, even when they got his commitment months ago, we could see him initially starting the season – beginning the season as a starter and maybe being supplanted at the end of the year. But I think at the beginning, he'll be getting those starter minutes that leaves the shooting guard spot. And I I'd have to think it's going to be a battle between Sebastian Mack and Jan Vide. Probably Sebastian Mack is, is leading in that uh, little competition right now. He's just been showing so much during practice. He's, Anyone who has seen practice that has talked that I've talked to has said he he was the star of the practice. Uh, Jan Vidi actually has been looking pretty good in the last couple of practices. He's getting acclimated, feeling comfortable. Um, there is also Alain Fibloy. As of this moment, um, he's uh, one of the best, if not the best, perimeter defender. Still pretty raw offensively. It'll be interesting to see um, because I've been told the uh, Stavanovic decent defender, not not you know an excellent defender. If Fabloy will maybe be the guy who supplants him at that small forward spot, and how long it will be before Cronin wants to get here's a here's a good conflict Mick Cronin conflict experience or better defender. Uh, I have my answer. Are you ready for mine? Good. Uh, yeah, I think I know, but yeah. Better defender. I think initially he won't. I know. I think he's, I, I'm, yeah. I'm well aware. Because he's going to think all of those freshmen out there scare the crap out of him, but eventually uh, I think you're We right. have seen this story before, and I want to, again, I want to, again, give everyone just the game plan for the season. It's going to look weird. There's going to be moments where it looks kind of bad in November and December, and maybe even into January, because we've seen this before. This season has happened. We've, we've seen a Mick Cronin season where there's a lot of development going on. We just saw a true elite season, this past one, that, you know, beset by injuries at the end. But they were on they, they were on a mission to win a title last year. Uh, that was a true elite season. The three others have been a lot of development or injury issues, and it makes it look kind of frustrating and weird in the opening months of the season. There's going to be feeling out lineups in a way that we haven't seen 
with Cronin, maybe since year two, but definitely since year one. Uh, there's going to be a lot of this stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I think I can tell you right now, I'm going to be sitting here tweeting in like early December. And I'm going to be like, Elon Fibley should be playing so much more. Should be playing Just so do much the more. tweet now. Dave. I'm going tweet to. I'm going to have now. it scheduled. Because uh, Twitter, yeah. you can now schedule in the native app. I'm going to do it. I think you should just tweet it now. Yeah. And just say, read this Two months January 27th. It's going to look dead right. Um, yeah. Because, it, you know, it sounds like his situation is very similar to another guy who was a, uh, you know, a bang the drum guy for me, which was Jalen Clark as a freshman and a sophomore. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, this is all <laughs> a little bit sight unseen, but um, you can you can kind of understand how this is this is kind of fits the mold of, of Mick Cronin and how he develops. You know, he's going to opt for, in the face of uncertainty, there's going to be a little bit more of opting for experience. Um, and it's all going to work itself out. And I think Stefanovic, if, if you want to like an apples to apples for year one to year five, Stefanovic, well, uh, much, much, much better and, and uh, uh, more valuable experienced option than, say, Prince Ali. So the calculation you're making is already improved um, than uh, it would have been in that situation. So the talent level has obviously been raised, and it's just going to be, again, though, that feeling out period for the first few months of the season. And then we didn't even mention uh, Adai Mata, who will be playing, I, I mean, close to 25 minutes a game, you'd have to think, uh, playing the post. Um, I, I'm still not going to take off the table the possibility that he and Bona are on the same court at the same time, and maybe he, Bona, and Bayuk Tunstall is all, are on the same court, same time. Um, so that'll be interesting that we've talked about that before. That's going to be one of the most interesting things of the basketball season to me. Uh, I already talked about Jan Vide. So we're all right there. We're eight deep. Um, and then whatever they can get from the freshmen. The other freshman, um, I think Brandon Williams is going to play some. Maybe not significant minutes, but I think he's. They're going to want to get him on the court um, just to give him that experience, uh, and I think he will have some of the biggest upside in practice because he is the youngest, uh, really young for his age, for his class. Um, then you got your guy. Which one of Will I McClendon? Uh, well, Will McClendon, the one you were beatboxing behind as I was talking. <laughs> um, uh, Ken Uba is a great backup post to have as your third guy. Devin Williams, as we, we've said before, probably on his way to a red shirt. Um, yeah. So that's 12 scholarship guys. Easily, easily you can see them going uh, nine deep if you – if you go all the way down to Ken Nuba. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, it's a young team. Let's just say Stefanovic is starting. Mac is starting. You have one junior in Stefanovic. You've got two sophomores and then two freshmen. Um, your, your guys off the bench, your three guys who are going to come off the bench the most, Mara, Vide, and Fibloy are all freshmen. So that's that's a pretty young that's a pretty young team you got going there, but incredibly talented. So more to your point, 
things are going to look a lot different, let's say, in January and February than they do in November. Yeah, and I'll just um, add uh, one thing to that, which is another reason why you might see more of Brandon Williams. And this is just um, maybe adding a little bit of my own skepticism about the potential for playing a lot of bigs is he's the one who fits the mold of a potential guy who can actually back up Burke at the four in a traditional college way. Um, you're going to see some Bona playing there, but um, you know, I, I think once you hit January, February, they're going to want to go with, um, I would imagine they're going to want to go with more of their better defensive lineups. And I think that's going to involve playing guys who are more traditionally sized for their positions um, and not having two essentially centers on the floor at the same time. And a six, nine guy trying to guard six, four guys at the three. You had also mentioned at one point that you could see Stefanovic plugging into kind yeah. of that power forward spot. I think, and I, I could I could see that too. If Williams is playable, though, I think that's probably preferable because Stefanovic, if you go look at his underlying stats, not like a rebounder at any level. Um, he's never been like a really like he's probably more of a more of a two playing a three than a three playing you know who can swing to the four. Um, Williams though maybe more fits that mold. Um, so. We'll see. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of really fun lineup experimentation that's going to make... I don't know what Mick does at this point. You can't pull out any hair on the top, so maybe he just starts plucking his eyebrows. Um, mm-hmm. But I think... He's got good eyebrows. Actually. He does. Uh, but I think, I've noticed. But I think, I think he's going to be finding hair follicles on his head to pull out as he experiments with all these different lineups. But I think the end result, as we've seen now also through four years, by February and March, it's going to look pretty good. So really, one of the biggest takeaways here is Sebastian Mack. Yes. Going beyond expectation. Uh, we here at Bro were always very enamored of him. We were very happy when UCLA started really seriously recruiting him in the fall of last year, pretty late. Um, we are Jan Vide fans too. So that is going to be a fun little battle right there. I, I, I think I'd give it to Sebastian Mack. Jan Vide is also going to want to be retained from the bench to be pretty fresh to come off and uh, come off the bench and, and spell Dylan Andrews at, at the point guard spot. So even though he could slide over and play some two and he'll compete to, to play the two, Cronin, I think, likes to keep his backup point guard fresh and able to come in for 12 minutes a game and make uh, a real impact. But uh, so I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Sebastian Mack, which uh, it's really fun to to anticipate seeing all these international guys. Yeah, but it's going to be. I mean, I've I've never seen those guys in person. I've seen Sebastian Mack a lot, so I'm very excited to see him in a UCLA uniform. And we'll get that. Hopefully, we will get some streaming, so we'll be able to see. Sebastian Mack versus Jan Fide but in Spain. But if you don't want to wait for that, tomorrow uh, UCLA has basketball availability in the morning. So we're going to talk to Mick Cronin. We're going to talk to some players. And then we're going to get probably a good 10, 15 minutes of basketball footage. So, you know, we do those all the time because basketball is really good about allowing us kind of weekly access to, you know, filming meaningful parts of practice. Uh, that's not. I'm not. I'm not casting aspersions anywhere. Uh, no, not at no. all. Uh-uh. Don't take anything from. Yeah. Um, so we get kind of up close and personal. Can uh, get some good photos and and videos. Um, 
But this is going to be, I think, particularly exciting for a lot of um, the bros out there because it's going to be a lot of these new freshmen, a lot of these new faces, including Stefanovic. Um, it, won't be everybody, if, but a lot of them. Yeah. If it was the equivalent in Mo Austin on the practice floor, the media would be like shoved in <laughs> yeah. into one little far corner. We'd be in the doorway. Right? <laughs> We'd be in the doorway and it would be um, just them doing like their jogging lines. Yeah. But instead we're getting, yeah. I think I would call it the equivalent of getting like seven on seven drills. Like we're not seeing a bunch of contact, but we see, you know, them playing the sport of basketball up and down the floor. Yes. Which is, um, yes. you know, again, I'm not not doing any allusions to any other sports at UCLA, any other access problems. Just, you know, that's what we get at basketball. It's kind of cool. And not casting any more aspersions, but just to give you all a heads up, uh, the basketball uh, availability is scheduled pretty much at the same time as the football availability. True. So we will not... Um, be getting our 15 sec our 15 minutes <laughs> that was a legitimate slip i didn't intend that um of watching football practice tomorrow on thursday we will get the the player interviews which i have to admit have been fantastic lately yeah don't you think no they've all been yeah. good i mean i will say this about um about our our, our friendships program is I don't know what they're doing with media training, but all of the kids sound amazing all the time. Yeah, they do. I have one uh, coming up with um, Femi. He's great too. Yeah. So so that'll be everyone. Look forward to that one. But the the few that we not the few the many we've had recently. Uh, not only are they are they composed, uh, professional sounding. They're interesting. They're interesting to talk to. They've been. They're great, not being so. boring. Like, because that was the thing. No. I mean, I, now that he's now that he's gone, I can say it. But like, we got Zach Charbonnet a lot, and he didn't have a whole lot to say ever. Um, but these guys, like, I don't know. It seems like they want to actually engage on a lot of the topics that we bring up, which is fun. Uh, it makes it all more fun, I think, for everybody involved. True. Um, anything you want to say about football, Dave? We're at the halfway point. We're right? at the halfway point. Um, I mean, we'll have more as we kind of wrap up camp um, and some things start to trickle out more. Um, we'll probably write some stuff. Um, I would say as it stands, not really. I mean, they've been in pads for now, what, about a week? Um, practice, you know, we'll have practice tomorrow. Uh, I might be able to get in for the final, you know, couple periods. We'll see how long basketball takes. Um, but no, not really. I mean, I think... Uh, Judging by rumblings out of the program and, you know, our own eyes, I would stay, say there's still a quarterback competition. I don't think anything has been settled yet. Um, I would say the running back competition seems like it is, you know, very much the one-two punch of Steele and Harden in some order. Um, I would say the most interesting thing, and this is something that I think we want to get more clarity on, is the offensive line. Um, you know, we saw it from practice one that Benjamin Roy was uh, appeared to be first string left guard. And then what we've continued to see, and now, you know, a little bit of what we've heard is, you know, he might be actually in competition to start at the guard spot uh, against a transfer in Spencer Holstage, who uh, has a lot of starting experience. So on in one respect, that's, wow, okay, that's a big surprise. But in the other respect, that's a really good sign um, if that's it, actually happening. 
It's it's not only a great sign that a young guy is better than a veteran transfer, but all our viewing of Roy, he's been very impressive. Yes. And we found out from Duke Clemens earlier this week, I don't know they're all running together, <laughs> that he's one of the strongest, this is Roy, is one of the strongest guys in the UCLA weight room. So he's listed at like 6'2", 295. That might be generous, <laughs> but... He's one of the strongest per pound and per inch. So, uh, yeah, this is really encouraging because at the uh, you'd want to be able to know that there's a guy who could very capably plug in at a starter spot next year. I have always penciled him in as being the starter at center, um, but that he would be able to start at either center or left guard next year is a, a, one of the best developments so far of – fall camp yeah from what we've been able to glean yeah and if we get um uh i'll put in a request but if we get drevno at some point in the uh fall camp period that would be great to talk to him about and then apparently at the i'd like to talk to roy well yeah too uh but uh drevno uh apparently at the kickoff dinner last night there was a report on the board that he was also talking up and this kind of speaks a little bit to what we were saying from the spring he was talking up josh carlin as somebody who's improved a lot and then he also mentioned Bruno Fina that he thought he'd made some real strides. Um, and I didn't see it as much with Fina in the spring, but it was obvious with Carlin that he went from a guy who it looked like he still needed some development time uh, last year to somebody who, okay, there, there's some moments where you look pretty capable uh, this spring. So if he's continued um, his development arc, that could also provide some depth. Yeah, I mean, let's just admit it. We are out there watching from lot eight and, you know, we'll apologize, Mr. Carlin um, and Josh, (laughs) uh, that we were skeptical. You're going into your redshirt senior year and hadn't gotten really any significant playing time. So when we were watching with our um, uh, binoculars, I would turn to Dave and say, uh, that was just Josh Carlin who who did really well in those one on ones, and and we would both go, well, okay, that was a fluke. Then the next time, hey, Josh Carlin did well again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's very encouraging. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, you know, the fact that Drevno said that kind of like you said, um, is consistent with what we saw during spring. Yeah. So, uh, we'll have. I mean, obviously, we'll have a ton more takeaways over the next um, couple of weeks leading into the game. We're only two and a half weeks out. 17 days from UCLA's opener on September 2nd. So a um, lot of a uh, lot of fun to be happening in the meantime. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to let you guys go and into our interview with Martin Jarmond. So enjoy that. And we'll talk to you again next time. See you all. Welcome, everyone, back to a very special broadcast. I'm David Woods. He's Tracy Pearson. We're from Bruinport Online, but we're not the exciting ones today. Athletic Director Martin Jarman joining us. Martin, thanks for coming on. David, Tracy, good to be with you. I don't know about the exciting part. I think you guys are probably more exciting than, than me, man. <laughs> well, well, it's not, it's not, it's not every day we get the uh, sitting UCLA AD on the podcast, so it's great to have you. And, and uh, you get the award easily for the best background, Martin. Is that real oh, or is that one of those fake? Oh, oh look at the chair, too, right? Come on, coach, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I did you get the man that. in the did the man in the arena get mounted after your arrival or was that already there? Yeah, I, I had I had the man in the arena behind my desk when I was at Boston College. I've always had that. And uh it's just a 
I love the poem. I love everything that it represents because uh, not many people sit in your chair or walk in your shoes. And it's, and it's a good reminder that, you know, there's a lot that comes with that. And uh, you just got to be able to block the noise sometimes, as you guys <laughs> probably know. <laughs> noise? No, we don't know anything about that. Speaking of that noise, uh, this I don't know that I can imagine a three years of uh, a tenure that's more hectic and crazy with external <laughs> events, internal events, so many crazy things going on. The most recent one, obviously, the reverberations throughout the world of college sports with all the realignment stuff. What was your reaction to, I mean, potentially dissolution of the Pac-12, everyone breaking apart, but specifically Oregon and Washington uh, joining UCLA and USC in the Big Ten next year? Yeah, well, realignment has been a part of our world, you know, the last two years, and it'll probably remain that way uh, moving forward. You know, I think um, anything that you see realignment-wise, it's always something that initially there's a shock, but then you kind of settle in, and you just got to be ready. You got to be nimble and flexible, and that's what we've been this whole time. You know, obviously, we've been working with things on the Big Ten level, and now with Washington and Oregon, uh, you know, personally, I, I like that. I think it's good to have both of those schools in the Big Ten. Uh, I think from a competitive standpoint, they're strong. It allows us another West Coast trip. So that takes away one uh, East Coast trip. Uh, we're working with the Big Ten now with scheduling and different things. But I think it's a positive. You know, um, you, you never, you know, personally, I didn't like to see kind of how everything went down these last two weeks. You know, that's tough because I have colleagues that people I care about that this impact, impacts them in a significant way. Um, but, you know, my focus is always doing what's best for UCLA, and, and I'm glad that we're in the position that we're in. Looking at – because there was a schedule released for football uh, prior to, obviously, Oregon and Washington joining in. Is your anticipation that there will be I, – I, I don't even know what the word is going to be for it, but some version of a protected schedule with Oregon and Washington being included, or is that putting the cart before the horse right now? I think the model will be consistent from a – from a standpoint of some kind of protection, whether that's the flex one that we currently have or whether that changes to a flex two or depending on who you are, I think the structure will stay the same. I think some of the principles will stay the same. Uh, we're actually going to have a call with the ADs, the first one with Washington and Oregon uh, next week to talk about some of the scheduling parameters and uh, make sure everybody understands the principles. So um, I don't think you'll see the structure change as much, um, but I do think you, you, you know, you'll probably see obviously some of the team and pairings change based on whatever the computer model comes out with, but um, it's exciting. You know, it's going to be great matchups and that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. When it comes to uh, the, the kind of money boost you're going to get from the media deal. Uh, it's been said about $70 million on average uh, over the course of seven years. Um, what can that do? for the UCLA athletic department, specifically also for the UCLA football program? You know, we want to be elite. We want to be great. We want to compete at the highest level at all times in all sports. And so to do that, you have to have resources. Um, I don't know about that 70 number. That seems a little high, but, um, but what I do know is it's going to be more resources than we've been getting uh, in our current situation. And, and that's going to help us directly impact our student athletes in a positive way. You talk about nutrition, you talk about travel, you talk about academic support, uh, you talk about just everything that impacts that student athlete experience, mental health. You know, there are things that we have not been able to do for our athletic program and for our student athletes, quite frankly, that we should be doing. And now we're going to have the ability to do some of that. You know, next year we're going to feed 
um, all of our teams uh, a meal for the first time, all of our Olympic sports. We haven't been able to do that because that, co that costs a couple million dollars. You know, right. Now we're going to be able to do that. So we're going to improve our nutrition just like that. So this is about the resources that we need. Our student athletes need to compete and perform at the highest level and be the best version of themselves. So what I think you're going to see is you're going to see more investment in our student athletes and our programs. Um, that's going to happen. And, and that's what I'm excited about. When, when looking at that move to the Big Ten, just from a competition on the field standpoint, you know, I think everyone's trying to wrap their heads around it a year ago. Now with the Oregon and Washington additions, it becomes, I think, a little bit now more it makes acute. more sense what we did, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly true. But also it makes it a little bit more acute. Like those are two really good programs in addition to what was already in the Big Ten, and I'm speaking specifically about football, um, but looking at that competitive landscape, now UCLA has a seat at the table, but what's the, how do you put into place a plan for succeeding at that level to, to succeed in, the, in this new world order, new conference? Yeah, you know, the Big Ten has big brands, um, great competition, uh, big name schools, but UCLA is a big brand. We're a big name school. We compete at the highest level. You, you, Dave, you mentioned football. Football has a winning record against Big Ten opponents with nearly 50 wins. Men's basketball, I think, over the last six or seven years is like, um, or overall, 80 and, and 41 against Big Ten schools. And we've beaten a couple of them the last few years. Michigan and Michigan State on the Final Four run. We, we beat Maryland at Maryland. Um, and we beat Northwestern in the tournament. So, you know, football and basketball, if that's what you're speaking of specifically, we've been playing Big Ten teams. We've been winning. And the expectation for all of our teams is we want to get to the Big Ten day one and compete and win. You know, so that's that's important. We don't we don't focus on others. We focus on ourselves. We got to make sure we're doing everything we can to be the best version of UCLA when we get to the Big Ten August 2nd, 2024. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah, I thought you might have a little counter behind you going on. No. I'm focused, man. We're focused. Okay. You know, we, we, we want to, I mean, this is a, this is an interesting time in our business and in college athletics, but we have a window at UCLA to really, you know, hit that thing and, and make sure that we compete and put our student athletes in a position to, to continue to excellence and, and improve and move forward. When you're, when you're judging and grading success, I'm sure internally you have your own benchmarks you want to hit and all the different sports and all those different things. I, how, has the process started to adjust for you for when it's going to be a new conference situation with a different competitive landscape in terms of how you're going to grade your programs and grade your coaches and all that, that sort of environment? Yes and no. So how I look at our program is consistent from day one, the first day I got here. I look at our student athlete experience. Are we improving that? What is that experience? Are they having competitive championship seasons? Are they getting better? Are they becoming better human beings? So when they leave Westwood. That's the ultimate measure of success, in my opinion, is directly impacting the student athlete experience and, and how they do. Right. So that doesn't change whatever conference you're in. Now, that said, you know, when you change a conference, you've got to look at the landscape. We've been evaluating what other schools have, the resources they have, what do they invest in? And then looking at UCLA, we're not going to look like Wisconsin. We're not going to look like Penn State. But there's some things that Westwood and UCLA have that those schools don't have. So how do we lean more into that? We've got a great alumni network. I'm thinking about how do we tap into our alumni more in a, in a bigger and better way, not only to help um, our, our student athletes with work experiences, but also NIL and, and, and those kind of things. That's really important. Right. So so I look at how we measure the student athlete experience. And then also we have a scoreboard. 
let's be frank. We have a scoreboard. We want to win. We compete. Uh, we want to maintain our academic excellence. That's something that's always been a part of UCLA. We're going to always do it the right way. And then we got a scoreboard. We want to win. And so we got to invest in that and help our coaches, our student athletes have success in that manner. So when you're talking about winning, um, a lot of our fans would say it comes down to recruiting um, the talent, uh, the Jimmy's and Joe's over the X's and O's. Um, There's two things, talent, recruiting talent and developing talent. Those are the two main things right there. Let's start with the first one. Um, being in the Big Ten footprint, how can UCLA use this to upgrade its talent to be able to be competitive from a talent standpoint with the Big Ten? What do you think the recruiting efforts of the football team, what do they have to do? What, what extra do they have to do? What extra mile do they have to go in the Big Ten? So I'm not a coach and we got, we've got 25 programs. So every coach has their own method of recruiting, right? Um, you know, for some, I, I think you're not going to see the base of our recruiting change across the board. I think, you know, Southern California, California, West coast, I think that will, will remain consistent, but then in every sport, you've got to look at what are the, what are the pluses and minuses? You know, one thing for us going to the big 10 and it's a conference in the Midwest and East coast, we got better weather than any of those schools. So now that's a value proposition. If you're a, a student athlete or recruit in the Midwest or East Coast or, or South, not only you could come to L.A. and have great weather, but you could be at the best number one public institution in the country, uh, second most national championships, highly athletic, competitive um, school, and then live in Westwood, which, which is something is a lot harder to do if you're not in college. And one of the things that I talk about is you get to come and be a student athlete three, four, five years and live in L.A., uh, and still compete against the best schools in the country across the country, who's got it better than that? So I think we got to lean into some of those natural recruiting positives that we have. And I think it's going to open up conversations with other recruits in areas that maybe we haven't recruited as much. You know, I know I, I talked to our women's soccer coach, Marg, and I know that we have, you know, a, a student athlete from Texas now that a year, year and a half ago, maybe we weren't in that conversation with, and now we are because we're a part of a, a national brand conference and playing some of the best in the country. Uh, that's, that's something that we got to lean into. I think you're going to pick some things here and there. Um, obviously in football, we've gotten some recruits from the Midwest. Um, a lot of prominent, successful uh, high school careers recruits. I don't know exactly what I can say. So I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be careful. You can talk about Dante more. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Dante's here. I can say Dante. Yeah, there you there go. You go. There's other recruits that we've gotten that we've signed or, or verbal that are from Midwestern states. And I think that's really important because that just, that opens it up even more for us. You know, everybody talks about uh, everybody coming to Southern Cal California to recruit. Well, we're going other places to recruit too. UCLA's coming now and, and maybe it wasn't the same when we were at West Coast and we have 730 kicks and you don't see us on the East Coast and Midwest, you see us now. So I think it's, it's exciting when I think about the recruiting and what this move means for that. One other question, just one more question about, um realignment uh what's your opinion of cal and stanford potentially joining the big 10 i have no opinion on on cal or stanford i i i don't control that it's crazy out there um i love cal and i love stanford i i, I hope that whether it stays in the pack 4 12 whatever um i just hope that they land in a good spot and and uh, that's important to me i know i'm i'm very helpful when i can to both cal and stanford um i think those are two great brands great schools uh, we have a history of competing against both of them. 
we want to compete against both. Uh, I've let both of them know that that all of our sports would love to compete uh, still with them. And, you know, they got to sort out kind of where they're going to land and what they're going to be before we can kind of move forward with that. But um, I want I want a, a great outcome for both Stanford and Cal. Uh, flipping back a little bit to recruiting, because the elephant in the room when you're talking about recruiting in basketball and football is NIL. It's what recruits are asking about a ton throughout the process. And I've got two avenues I want to take with that. And the first one is how temporary of a situation do you think this is? Because there's a lot of talk that this might not be the model going forward. And what's your sense of that as somebody who's kind of on the forefront of a lot of this stuff? Like what's your sense of the conversations going on about what is the compensation model going to be for players at some point in the future? Um, I'm going to answer that two ways first. Sure. The, the first one is ever since I got here in 2020, I've, I've come into UCLA when it's chaos and chaotic, starting at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So one thing that I've learned is you've got to be nimble and flexible and open to what the future is going to look like. You cannot be married or wedded to the past. You've got to respect it. You've got to learn from it, but you've got you've to move forward and navigate and lead in a way because everything is changing um, and nothing is consistent, right? So when you operate from a, from a leadership point in chaos, you've got to be consistent, focused, nimble, flexible. So I don't know what the future holds. I, I don't think NIL is going away. I think NIL is positive. I think our student athletes being able to benefit in this way, learning about their brand, learning about um, requirements, time commitments, um, you know, what's good choices, bad choices when it comes to who they associate themselves with, with brands. That's all good. We should be doing that while they're on campus. They should be learning those lessons while they're here instead of when they become a professional. So I think NIL, I've always been a proponent of NIL. Uh, and I think it's in a good place. I think, I think you hear about the two, three, four percent that's that's negative, but I think it's 90 plus percent is positive for, for all of our student athletes, right? So that said, I don't see the toothpaste going back in the tube. I, I, <laughs> the collectives and NIL is here to stay. Uh, I don't see that changing. Obviously, if it does, we'll adjust when it comes. But, you know, we've been focused on, you know, when something new like this, how do we ramp up to help our student athletes? You know, we've got Westwood Exchange. That's important, allowing both donors, fans, and student athletes to come to the marketplace. And now we've got collectives. I think NIL for us was bumpy at first, right? It's new. You're trying to navigate and learn. Um, one thing I can tell everybody is UCLA is going to do it the right way. You know, we're not, we're not going to support a pay-for-play system. Um, you're going to get NIL benefit, uh, but doing the work and, and how it's structured and supposed to be. And the beauty of, of our collectives who are doing great work, um, some of them men of Westwood, a champion of Westwood. Uh, some of them are, are doing great work with working with our compliance to make sure that student athletes uh, deals are, 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 are recognized and documented to make sure we keep their eligibility intact. Um, there's great communication and, and they all know we're not going to do things but one way, and that's the right way. Um, and, and I think NIL is important. I think, you know, from a, from a fundraising standpoint, Wooden Athletic Fund is critical. Um, NIL is critical. In a perfect world, you give to both. Not everybody's going to, right? And that's, that's okay. But if it's a dollar, whether it's NIL or Wooden Athletic Fund, to our student athletes to help them, that's a positive for UCLA. That's the way I look at it. That's the way our team looks at it. So um, NIL is here. It's important because it's important to our student athletes and it helps them. So, so we recognize that. And that's why we work so hard at it and learning and educating and doing different things that we can. 
And I, and I got to say this too, just so everybody knows. Sure. Rules. We cannot, an athletic department, go out and broker deals for student athletes. That is that is against the rules. We can't do that. We can provide education. We can talk to fans, donors, alumni about the importance of NIL, which we do. Um, but at the end of the day, Dave, if it's your money, you're going to decide what you want to do with it. I can't. Mm -hmm. Martin Jarman can't make you do this or do that. What I can do is is, is educate you, tell you how important it is to our student athletes, and and you make those decisions. But but the way I look at it is. A dollar coming to UCLA to benefit our student athletes this way or that way is all good way. So many questions here about NIL, which you probably talk for about two hours over this. But um, <laughs> like you said, it's a new thing. You're, you're kind of working through it, as is every athletic department. Uh, has there been a little bit of a conflict with UCLA donors trying to understand who they should donate to, whether it's a Wooden Athletic Fund or the NIL collectives? Has that been an issue? Is it something that you think is in a good place? It needs to be kind of streamlined a little bit better. Where would, uh, how, what's the state of that right now? So you'd have to ask donors. Um, I, I can tell you the ones that I've talked to in my experience. This has been new. You got to remember this NIL hasn't been around for 10 years to where there's a general understanding um, of, of everything that's going on or what this impacts or how, how this is. I think it's been an educational process probably over the last year. A lot of donors haven't really understood exactly what NIL is or, or how their dollars would be utilized or, or wouldn't athletic fund. I think there's more clarity now. Um, and I think my message is NIL and wouldn't athletic fund are both important. You know, they're both important because they both benefit our student athletes. I think there's a learning curve you're going to have, right? You're going to have some people to say, Hey, I'm not comfortable with, with this. I've had that, right? I've talked to, to fans and alumni to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. And I say, that's okay, you know? But the more we can educate, the more you see some of the collectors doing really good work with our student athletes, I think you start to learn the benefits and see how it impacts the success of our program and our student athletes. So, you know, you just gotta remember, this isn't like it's been 10 years in the making. This is, this is two years. Uh, so there's been a curve and I would say it was probably bumpy for us initially, but I think in the last few months, we've made quite a bit of progress. It seems like there's, um, because it is new, feeling your way uh, as you go, there's some things that can kind of fall through the cracks. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, there's a player who has an NIL deal. Like you said, UCLA is not going to be a pay-for-play uh, athletics department. To get that player, let's say, to fulfill his NIL obligations, uh, so many other little things that could fall through. Um, the Duke basketball program has essentially, uh, they've hired a general manager to oversee NIL. Um, would you ever consider doing that just to, just to stay on top of some of the things that could be falling through the cracks? If it's something that's going to help our student athletes and our coaches at NIL, we would consider it as long as we can do that. So um, NIL, you know, I've thought about, we've talked about actually, hiring additional staff person just to focus on NIL with some of the connections in the, in the community, some of the charitable work that, that is asked of our student athletes and, and what that means. So we thought about that. Um, but, it, but bottom line, Tracy, if there's something that's going to help us in NIL and help our student athletes, we'll consider it. You know, again, this is a new thing that's very important. I understand the importance of NIL. We understand that. And so it's how do we best position our student athletes and our program to where we can have sustained success in this model the way that it is. One more, one more NIL question. Um, 
Man, you guys going I, in. I got so man. many, man. It's big. You know it's big. Uh, it's big. It's important. I've got, I got about seven questions. Let's just do this one. Um, the Ohio State Athletic Department, um, they I've seen that they have practically like a shopping cart for what donors can pick to get this benefit to pay for their NIL. Michigan um, just officially sponsored an NIL collective. I know UCLA is, is being very careful about the whole thing. And, you know, we all appreciate that. Um, do you think that th there's a possibility that there will be a chance where there will be donors that can literally go off of maybe almost a shopping cart. They can show up to a practice to donate this for NIL. Is that a possibility? Those kind of things like Ohio state's kind of doing that right now. So I'm not familiar with what, what other schools I haven't heard that. Um, mm -hmm. But I can tell you if it's something that's going to help our NIL efforts and our student athletes, we'll consider it um, as long as it's by the book and it's by the rules. You know, that's the most important thing. Again, this is an evolving space. Um, I think I saw last week Texas A&M had a 12th man foundation plus Not that so was all the rage a year ago. And now they they stopped it. Right. Because of some kind of IRS memo that came out. So, again, I, I use that as an example to say this is an evolving landscape. You know, the only thing that I'm going to make sure that we do and what we can do, because, again, there's some things that we can't with NIL is we're going to be aggressive with looking at how we can help our student athletes in this space. And, and if that means hiring personnel for NIL, if that means um, adjusting things and working more closely with some of the groups, so be it. You know, but that's something that that is really important. Uh, I've got a couple more for you. I know, know you've got a, a time crunch a little bit, but um, I want to. I want to. NIL question, though. <laughs> I want to ask a question that's not about basketball or football or NIL. Uh, it's about realignment, though. Um, <laughs> so, uh, thinking about it with with the well, at least the dissolving of the traditional Pac-12, with a lot of these West Coast schools now in different conferences, has there been any discussion, even a preliminary thought, about potentially putting? Uh, some of the non-revenue sports altogether and some sort of like something like the MPSF for the, the schools that are still on the West coast, but are now playing in conferences that are further afield for a lot of these sports that don't generate revenue. And, and will have a lot of time crunch, especially like baseball playing three games across the country, that sort of thing. You know, our plan is, is obviously pac 12 this year and everything has been planning with all of our sports going to the big 10. That's, that's what we're focused on. And then MPSF, obviously, for our water polo teams and men's volleyball. Um, I think you're going to hear more of that stuff. I mean, that's just, you know, people have conversations all the time. Right. Uh, so I think you'll hear some of that. But um, the only thing that we're focused on is really the transition to the Big Ten. So right. you um, have to. You learn you anything in this space is you got to be nimble. You got to be flexible. And as things come and change and evolve, we're going to be right there at the forefront of it. Let's talk a little bit, just touch on um, – the basketball program, um, specifically the recruiting class that's coming in for 2023. I, I've been doing this a long time. I anointed this class literally as one of the best classes in the history of UCLA basketball. Um, Tracy, don't go putting on expectations to these young men, man. Come that's on. What we, that's what we do, Martin. Come on. That's what we do. We do the other thing, too. Wow. We, we lower expectations. We do it all. Um I, sitting back and watching this, how Mick Cronin crafted this class where I'm just curious, were you like on the edge of your seat watching this happen? Like, like all the rest of us? I mean, this was, 
usually recruiting uh, basketball ends in November. I mean, he's had to finish off this class in August. Um, it took a gargantuan effort. And uh, like I said, a lot of crafting. I mean, it was almost art to be able to work this through getting, getting some of these international guys through UCLA admission, getting them uh, free of their club teams. I mean, it was a big thing. Um, uh, just your impression of that whole recruiting class and that effort. Yeah, no, it's, it's obviously a credit to, to Mick and the job that he done, he's done this year. Um, but you know, I, I will say no one probably knows how hard he works. Um, he works at it. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, I've seen firsthand this past year with the recruiting because he's bringing in such a big class. You know, we've he and I have connected a lot about just what his strategy was. And and then also, you know, when you're talking about international student athletes, there's there's a process, there's admissions, there's acclimation. How do we make them comfortable if we get them here to Westwood? So there's a lot of behind the scenes work that's done to be able to to have a class like this. But it starts with Mick and his staff. They've done a tremendous job uh, of, of recruiting and and having to change and shift based on all the different factors that are going on in college athletics. Um, you know, he he does a phenomenal job, but he would be the first to tell you, too. It's, it's a team of people. Right. It's it's our, our faculty athletic rep. It's our um, liaisons that work with admissions to help present cases to help the, the people understand our young men that are that are coming that want to come to Westwood and the gifts and talents they have and how they will thrive and how we'll support them when they come to campus. It's all of that. Right. It's all a process. Uh, and it's, it's just for me, since I've been here, it's it's been great to see the progress that we have made um, and we are continuing to make with all of our sports when it comes to recruitment of student athletes. But make no mistake, Mick, Mick did a, a heck of a job this year. Uh, he worked so hard at it. Um, there's no coach in the country that's going to outwork Mick Cronin. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that I had a front row seat and and. Uh, could watch him do his thing, and and I'm excited about his team. Obviously, I'm going. They're going to Spain. I'm going to actually go with the team and and, and meet some of the guys and and kind of get to know them. Um, but from the ones I've met so far that are here, incredible young men. You speak French. You speak. You speak Slovenian. No, I was I was I was wanting to say something to Jan. I met Jan the other day, and, and I was like, man, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I got to work on it, man. I told Vic, man, we gotta we gotta <laughs> we gotta start learning a little more and expanding our international. Uh, our international language abilities. So uh, it's, it's good though. It's, you know, they're, they're great young men from what I've met them and, and I'm looking forward to spending more time with them. And then um, I've just got a little bit of uh, catnip for the masses closing out for me. Um, there was a, a schedule released yesterday, a little <laughs> promo schedule with some promotional dates for football. Uh, one of which was tucked away in there was uh, turn back the clock night. And I'm just going to ask for uh, the teaming masses. Uh, will that include a turn back the clock for the uniforms of the UCLA football team? I think you got to wait till turn back the clock week to find that out, Dave. You know, <laughs> I mean, I think you got to wait. There's, what good is it if there's no anticipation, right? Is there a possibility, though, Martin? That's all we want. Just, just the hope. Tracy, <laughs> you got to wait. Is you got to wait. Is, is there a possibility of? You know, I don't know. We, I think we got to see and we got to wait. We got a lot of promotional things that that we're doing this season, and and we also have a big one. I'm excited about pregame uh, for games that you'll hear about soon. That we're going to do some things pregame to to bring more people out to the Rose Bowl that I think will be really cool. 
So Martin, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, what's your reaction to your name being mentioned in connection with other athletic director jobs? You see this all the time. Uh, anytime there's success with a program, you see coaches, you see ADs mentioned. Um, I think it's a credit to UCLA and the trajectory we're on and, and my teammates and, and everybody that's a part of this, right? We've been successful and we're we're continuing on this path. So um, I don't I don't respond to every rumor because I, I'd be wasting too much time doing that. Uh, by the way, don't believe everything you read or you hear, especially you two. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that that I've, I haven't interviewed anywhere. I'm, I'm happy here. I love being a Bruin. I love the work that we're doing and the people I do it with. I think this is a special time in our athletics program. I think UCLA is a special place. And so I'm excited about this season, this last one in the Pac-12. Looking forward to getting into Big Ten and the future. But make no mistake, we got a special thing going in Westwood, and I'm a, I'm happy to be a part of that, and we're going to keep pushing and keep moving forward. All right. Well, thank you, Martin Jarman. Uh, great to have you on. Uh, great to talk to you, and hopefully we can do this again uh, sometime soon. Thanks, All Martin. Right. It was great. We'll do it the week of that turn back week. You know what I'm saying? We'll do it then. We'll, we'll talk then. Let's do we'll it. We'll talk then. All right. All right. Thanks, appreciate man. you guys. Thanks so much. All right, we'll see you later. See ya.